1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: Hello,
2: hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fan sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me once again, Mr. Akshaz Divaduela. Akshaz... How you doing, man? It's been a while. It's kind of a weird last couple of weeks or so, but uh, uh, hopefully everything is going well with you.
3: Yeah, you know, I'm doing well. Um, got a somewhat restful Thanksgiving break. <laughs> Traveled a little bit, visited, got some family to visit over. And, you know, mostly I'm so disappointed that I did things during Thanksgiving
4: because it <laughs> means
3: I missed us recapping the most fun win of the season. We didn't get a chance to talk about the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, just our luck. The Niners put on a complete game, and we don't get to just brag about them <laughs> for an hour. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was sort of a weird, weird week. It was just bad timing, and I was also feeling pretty under the weather uh, for pretty much um, the whole like eight or ten days leading up to to Thanksgiving. So every time that I was like, I could go and record a podcast where I talk by myself um i was just like you know what i just don't want to do it (laughs) so um apologies to the listeners out there that's that's kind of what happened it was a bad collision of uh of of multiple people feeling poorly and the holidays and all that stuff kind of coming together it's it's also really hard like my experience has been when when it's like oh i'm gonna go do record the podcast and it's just me it's hard to get like super excited about that because it's just me talking to myself for 20 or 25 minutes and that seems weird uh, so sometimes I'm just I lie there and it's like hmm I could do it but I'm also like I'm not 100% and there's a lot of a lot of other things going on and it's not exactly the same excitement where it's like oh I'm gonna go talk to somebody about about the game that just happened but uh, <laughs> a, a, as you say it was definitely the most exciting game of the season I would I would say for the 49ers uh, was that win in Mexico City and, and all the other things that came around it and then and then we got what happened yesterday. <laughs> uh, so we're recording here on Monday night um, uh, after the the 49ers. You know, it, it, is it fair to call a 13 to nothing win definitive? I mean, I I, I don't know. We could talk about the merits of, of whether or not that's true or not. But uh, nonetheless, it was a, a shutout of a of a Saints team that has been kind of like all over the place this year. Um, but you know they got the job done, and um, you know I think coming off that that big win over the Cardinals, the last thing that you would have wanted was a sort of complete letdown, um, and we we've seen that from this team before, right? Where they've come off this real high of like a big massive win over a over a rival or or something, some other experience, <laughs> like you know in this case they you know they go off to Mexico City and they have this massive. Uh, massive week and 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 blah blah blah, and then they come in and they just lay an egg against a team that they should probably beat. You know, I think like the Falcons um, was that last year when they when they came in and um, did that to them. Or you know, they 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 have a history of of doing this against teams that they probably should be handling and 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 that doesn't quite go out so well. So in that regard, I'll I'll definitely take the sort of uninspiring offensive performance that led to the 13 and nothing win. Because it's a it's a win, even if it wasn't the prettiest thing all across the board.
3: For sure. Um, I think it was back in 2019, a huge mm-hmm. letdown against the Falcons. Basically, yeah, it was yeah, what yeah. put the division back in play. whole shebang. But, I mean, I think this week was particularly tough. Obviously, the emotional letdown after thoroughly outplaying the Cardinals and really flexing their chops. As you know, that's a lot of elevation in Mexico City. They didn't really have a normal practice schedule. This very much felt like a get in, get the win, and kind of move on from their game. And, you know, for those circumstances, I think it was pretty dominant. Now, on a normal week, it might be a little different. But I really like what they saw, given just how much of a grind it was to basically get onto the field for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think they they didn't even get in until... Early Tuesday morning, or something like that, and I think they they ended up having a whole a whole day off on Tuesday, so they really got like what maybe two and a half days of practice or something like that to lead into this game. So it's it totally makes sense that that it would have been a, a little bit of a you know a slow burn. Um, I, obviously, <laughs> it turned out to be that way for for one side of the football, um, and not so much the other side, as I'm sure we'll get into here in just a little bit. But um, it. You know, it was it was one of those games where you know even though the offense wasn't doing a whole lot and there wasn't a lot of scoring, I just I was just watching and it. was like, I didn't ever really feel like nervous about it. I don't know how you felt about it, but I just I just didn't ever really feel feel concerned, even though they never got to the, the point spread to, to to a to a point where it's like, oh well, you know, because there was at any given moment the Saints could have scored a touchdown and suddenly then you're feeling nervous. But I just, I don't know. I just never really got there. Like there were a couple of moments, like with the with the, the Garoppolo almost interception and in the in the the long pass to Chris Olave that was was overturned, um, where I was like, oh, if this if this actually happens, and that's going to be problematic. But once those things went away, I was just like, oh, okay, we're fine. Like everything good. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about it watching it.
3: No, it was it was such a weird feeling because. I simultaneously was constantly like, okay, this game is over. Then also like, oh my God, this game isn't over. And I think, (laughs) and this is probably an indictment of half the team and the biggest of compliments to the other. I legitimately, I think in the third quarter was just thinking to myself, you know, I wish that, I wish we were on defense right now. I would feel so much more comfortable (laughs) with this lead. We're on defense. I don't know what it was, but it kind of just felt like nothing can go wrong when we're on defense and that was basically the case it was it was some special stuff i think especially if you're on twitter or online there's always so much talk about like quality of wins that's a huge thing among the 49ers fans on twitter and sometimes you just forget to realize a win's a win and even though everything might not click sometimes some stuff does and to look at this game and not just be in utter like awe and amazement of what this 49ers defense was able to do i mean i don't know you if that's the case then i'm glad christmas is coming for our listeners (laughs) because there'll be at least some joy in your life because you gotta be pretty sad to not be able to be excited watching that performance
2: Yeah. yeah for sure um that well said <laughs> uh, uh, yeah and we and we we do hope you find joy in your life if if of course we we would also wonder what why you're listening to this podcast but the related to the 49ers if watching that defense put on the, that kind of performance does not bring you uh joy that would that's sad like and and we, we we hope that you find something to 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 fill that void in your life but anyway um couple of uh, injury related news things um and it feels like it's been a while since we've had to do this because they've they've actually been getting really healthy and we've had all positive related news over the last couple of weeks um of course uh, over the course of the the game um, you started to see the sort of wear and tear of of playing <coughs> excuse me of playing these games pretty close together and, and the sort of the highs of of the Mexico city game and into the sort of lesser highs of this particular game. Um, it seems like for the most part, the injury news is okay. Um, you know, it, uh, it was pretty clear that the Debo Samuel was struggling throughout the the saints game with keeping that hamstring warm, but seems to have, have gone out and unscathed. He, I think it doesn't seem like he's, he's, he's going to be any worse for the wear than he was uh, coming into the game last uh, this past week. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, they're just going to be looking out for his knee, just had some some soreness there. And then Spencer Burford is uh, day-to-day with an ankle sprain. It's just sort of, you know, garden variety ankle sprain, not that dreaded high ankle sprain variety, which seemed to plague so many 49ers players. Um, but, of course, the the just biggest and most, like, frustrating news, I think, from a perspective, from that perspective, has got to be Elijah Mitchell, who missed the first, what, eight games of the season, uh, with a MCL sprain in one knee, goes out of this game with an MCL sprain in the other knee. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Like how? <laughs> this this poor guy like missed half the season, pretty much with with an injury, and then goes out and does the same thing to the other leg. It's just like, ah, uh, what a what a what a bum what a bum break for this guy. Um, you know, he played well uh, in in the games he has been able to play, and then just wasn't able to to finish this one out. Um, Obviously the timetable would put him, I think if I'm not mistaken, put him right around the the first round of the playoffs to to be coming back within that six to eight week range. I think that would be pretty ideal for the 49ers, Um, but it does put them in a, in a kind of interesting spot with McCaffrey kind of ailing a little bit. it was just, I think that's mostly discomfort. They're just going to monitor him. I believe that they said, Um, but it puts them in a situation where it's, basically basically McCaffrey who we'll see what happens hopefully he's okay uh Jordan Mason who looked pretty good in the sort of garbage time carries that he had at the end of the game that sort of sealed things uh Ty Davis Price who has not uh, been on the active uh game day roster in several weeks after coming back from his injury uh, mostly because he doesn't contribute as a special teams player which is interesting for a rookie um and then Tevin Coleman's on the practice squad and um that's your uh, running back depth at this particular point, which uh, I I, look, I know I get it. Like everybody's been like, well, this is why you don't trade Jeff Wilson and fine. Um, But who like, how do you know that? Like you could guess, like maybe this might happen, but you also got a pretty good offer from, for, for a guy who probably wasn't going to feature in your offense. So I I don't, I don't buy that, that argument, but I I don't know. Does this concern you at all or you, you feeling Okay.
3: I mean, first point, like you mentioned, huge bummer for Elijah Mitchell. I You just hate it because injuries, and he's only in his second year, yet injuries are like a very common theme for him. And he's such a, like an explosive runner that you just hope he can get out of his own way, basically let his health no longer be an issue. But honestly, I'm not too concerned about the injury. I think there's something to be said, and it's a little fascinating that the rushing efficiency for the 49ers in terms of pure yards per carry is significantly better when Mitchell is playing compared to McCaffrey. But I honestly think that it just has more to do with how much attention McCaffrey gets. Yeah. And we saw Mason. He looked explosive. Ty Davis-Price might get pushed up a little. Um, Tevin Coleman, if he thinks every team is the Panthers, <laughs> will basically carry the team to the Super Bowl. But yeah, there we go. I mean, the reality is to have two elite, well, okay, one super elite all-world running back, one very solid running back in Elijah Mitchell is not the norm in the NFL. To be able to just, like, shovel in a Jordan Mason or a rookie third-round pick who clearly must have some high talent somewhere to justify that selection, honestly, i it's not – you don't want it to happen, but the 49ers are about as well prepared for this injury as they can be. And if Elijah Mitchell's injury somehow completely derails this offense, then that's that's an issue with Kyle Shanahan than anything else. Because as much as Mitchell is a great running back, with the amount of talent in this offense, there's simply no way that his absence could single, should single-handedly like, cause an outsized impact.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that generally, like as as good as Mitchell is, uh, this offense has shown that they can they can plug guys into certain spots. And um, I I agree with you. I think McCaffrey is is when he's on the field and they're paying a lot of attention to him. um, And so I think that's a lot of what it has to do uh, with in terms of his low average, um, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, And then, you know, against the Cardinals, they barely used him as a running back. Um and and really, over the last couple of weeks, he just hasn't been used super frequently as a sort of standard rusher. um, even on Sunday, I think he had something like eleven carries, which um, uh, was, you know, they didn't run the ball all that much, <laughs> strangely, uh, against the saints. Um, and his eleven carries were high on the team. but part of that had to do with the fact that uh, Mitchell went out uh, so early in the game. He was certainly on the on his way to to carrying the ball more for, more frequently. But um it'll be interesting to see what happens to that. I'm 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 thinking I'm with you though I think they'll they'll find a way to manufacture some carries for some of the guys and, you know, again, just tell as you said, just tell Tevin Coleman everybody's the Panthers and it should be okay. You know, if you squint, the Dolphins are kind of the similar color schemes. You know, if you don't look at it too carefully, maybe you could see. I don't know. Just something to think about. Um the <laughs> the other thing of note, um so this is the weirdest thing. So I got a notification I was out um, early this evening and I got a notification that the 49ers signed uh, and I and I wish I were making this up, Jackrabbit Jenkins to the practice squad. And I went, Jackrabbit Jenkins? Who's Jackrabbit Jenkins? Apparently it's Janoris Jenkins. I did not realize that Janoris Jenkins uh, nickname was Jackrabbit. I don't know if you knew this, but um, so they added a, a veteran guy, a veteran corner to the, to the practice squad. Um, I don't know if that says anything about how they feel about their cornerback depth, or what, or if it's just—I I think it probably has more to do with the running back depth and the expectation that Tevin Coleman will probably have to be elevated uh, to the roster here pretty soon um, than it does about anything else. I'm—I'm—I I don't know. It—it—it it, it could be one of those weird things where we get all excited about, oh, they brought in a guy with experience and blah blah blah, and he's gone in like four days. Um, so as they have a history of of doing um, like remember when they brought in Marlon Mack and it's like oh Marlon Mack's on the team and maybe he'll add something to the the running back room and then he was gone like 10 days later so it's just like maybe it's nothing but it's just sort of an interesting uh, note
3: (laughs) yeah um, so the reason why I think it might be a more permanent signing is just I think Kyle Shanahan in his like presser slash conference call today said that they had been in constant contact with him and this was just the only day he had been like i'll go on the practice squad i think before then he wanted to be rostered Mm. so the only reason why i think it might be a little more permanent is because this wasn't like a oh a spot's opened up this was a he's willing to take what you're offering i don't know if it says too much altogether i mean he's a vet at this point and I mean, Janoris Jenkins has made plenty of play in his NFL career. At worst, we like you said, he's gone in 10 days and we forget it ever happened. I think there is value in him being around. He can play inside, outside. Maybe they're a little concerned about something. Maybe they just want some expertise, come playoff time. Who knows? Doesn't hurt. I don't know. I think everyone... We get so excited about these signings. Sometimes, you know, it's just the churn of the NFL. But I think it's interesting that he's someone they've been talking to for a while, if Shanahan's words are to be believed. That's <laughs> Where It's a tough ask. But
2: <laughs> sometimes
3: there, there's maybe something there. I don't really know where they place him if they wanted to bring him and like start him. The 49ers seem to love Jimmy Ward's play as nickel corner. I don't think the Amador has, been, has played poorly at all to justify a benching. And then Mooney Ward is Mooney Ward. You don't touch his spot. Yeah. Well, who knows? You know, injuries happen. I think he's a good yeah. guy to have stashed just in case.
2: Yeah. Good old Jackrabbit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I never heard of that before. But anyway. Um, I think I
3: right. heard it once. I don't know. When I saw it. I was like, oh, it's Janoris Jenkins, but I can't remember where it might have been. He just like tweeted something one time, oh. and I was like, okay, there you
2: go. All right, he's Jackrabbit. Cool. All right, well, whatever, never does it for you there, Janoris. Um, well, cool. Um, all right, so let's um, let's let's dive into the uh, this win over the the Saints a little bit with our uh, our patented not patented, but our our normal uh, way of handling this and that. We'll talk about something you like, something you didn't like. Um, I think there's a pretty interesting. You know, it'll be hard to to make selections in this um, that will not be sort of par for the course. But um, Akshaz, we'll start with you, sir, and uh, tell us one thing that you liked from this uh, this uh, interesting win over the Saints.
3: I think, like you said, Robert, we're not going to be too different on this. I'm going to say what I specifically liked was the stars coming to play. I think. There was, especially on the defense, on the offense too, to some extent. I don't know. A lot of that was schematically hard. But on defense, Nick Bosa seals a port down with a sack. Fred Warner, first defensive drive, forces a fumble. Talano Hufanga forces a fumble to stop the Saints from scoring. Like, you three, probably, arguably, the three best players on the 49ers defense each made a huge momentum changing play. And we talk a lot about the schematic ability of this of Demico Ryan's and all these different things that the defense can or can't do. But this defense works because Nick Bosa is a top five at worst edge rusher, in the NFL. Fred Warner might be the best cover linebacker the NFL has seen. At the very least he's the best in the league right now. And Hufanga is, and stop me if you've heard this before, a mini Polamalu. <laughs> and, you know, I think when the Rams' defense started getting really good under Brandon Staley, there was an interesting discussion about how the stars of his defense let him scheme a certain way. That's what these stars do. They not only change the play, they fundamentally like change everything D'Amico Ryans can do. Because they're so good it gives them so many more options and i can't i can't stop gushing about them <laughs> which is what happens when you pitch a shutout and they yeah. all make huge plays it was it was a sign to me that you know they've been really really good they've consistently been really really good but there's something about rising to the moment in what was functionally a meaningless game to some extent not nearly as high of stakes as any other game they've played recently or have played in their careers, but to have that level intensity throughout, that was something that was magnificent to behold.
1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator Ten for ten percent off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: yeah, I, I think that's that's all really, really good things there. I, it was It was becoming it was getting to the point where you could tell like this whole shutout in the second half thing, and just really just keeping the the shutout in this game like they were taking it very personally that the saints were trying to score. (laughs) It was just like, how dare you? Like, what are you even thinking? Like, we're not letting you across this, this goal line. There's nothing you can do. Um, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like how, I mean, we, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later in the week when we get to the, the dolphins preview about speed. Um, and you know, they may not have like top end speed all across the field, but they, they make up for it in sort of like play speed and their ability to like swarm to the ball. I think there was something that um, <clears throat> I don't remember if it was Mark Sanchez or the uh, um, I don't remember who the other commentator was in the game. But just talked about like what D'Amico Ryan said about how do you know that the, the, the team how do you trust the, the defense is doing like what's the thing that you like best about your defense. And he said something about like watch how many guys there are around the ball when 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 a tackle is being made. And nothing it it was nothing more epitomizing that moment than that that second fumble by Kamara at the near the goal line where there must have been like seven or eight 49ers defenders around the ball at the time. You know, Greenlaw's flying in, um, Warners around the ball, Fonga's making coming in and flying through. I think it was like Hassan Ridgeway or something like that. It was the first defender to like. Ad, re, jump up and, and snack, sm, you know, grab for the ball and actually made contact with one of the Saints receivers, which caused him not to be able to to score a touchdown on the play because the initial thing that happened was the ball popped up in the air and, and the, you know, there was a Saints uh, player. I, I don't remember if it was Alave or somebody else who was right there to to catch the ball, but <laughs> Hassan Ridgway comes flying through and knocks it back up into the air and allows Greenlaw to pick up the, the fumble there. But it's just, it's it's pretty impressive like the 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 amount of of things that they get out of uh, the rest of the players like obviously you talk about Bosa, you talk about Warner you talk about Ifongi you talk about you know Mooney Ward and these stars at all the positions but it, it's it's incredible the the thing that they bring out of the rest of the players um around them I'm, you know who's to say what Dre Greenlaw is on another team you know is he as is he in that conversation amongst you know some of the best linebackers in the nfl if he's just another guy on another team or is it the fact that he gets to play next to fred warner that makes him you know elevates the play you know same thing with a guy like you know sam samibacom or or charles who do they get to be elevated because they're playing next across from nick bosa um i mean obviously we'll never know or we when we will know it will be you know maybe sad i mean we. I think it's fair to make that assumption to a certain extent. Like, look at Kerry Hyder for example, right? Like, massive season. Obviously, it wasn't uh, across from Bosa because Bosa was hurt for that year. But massive season in this in this system with Chris Kosterick and all the sorts of things goes to Seattle, eh? Nothing, right? <laughs> now he's come back and hasn't been exactly the same player that he was during that uh that year um in 2020 but he's not being asked to do the same things you know he's not the primary addresser like he was that season i laughed because it's sad um but but you just look at the way that they get everything out of those those players and it's it's the stars but it's also the things that everybody else is able to do because the stars are so great um so i think that's that's really an important observation um I was gonna say I was gonna highlight Fred Warner specifically out of the the defenders. Obviously, I think you could just sort of throw a rock at at a team sheet for the for the defense and probably pick somebody that had a a massive impact. Uh, Warner, I I just I I I I, I single him out because he he did something in pretty much every aspect of the game. Um, You know, he had seven total tackles. uh, um, He had a, a quarterback hit. He had two passes defended. He forced the the opening fumble on that on that that opening drive and it looked like the Saints were kind of you know dinking and dunking their way down the field um and so you know just impacted all all the impact all the all the ways that you can from his position both as a pass rusher as a as a as a pass defender as a a, a run defender like all all the things um and I should also say um it's it's criminal ladies and gentlemen and, and I don't know <laughs> look the the pro bowl doesn't mean anything and it means even less now because it's not a it's not a real game, but the fact that he's the ninth highest uh, voted linebacker in the NFL, just come on, what do, what are we doing here? Like, come on, let let's fix this. So if you, if you're a Forty Nine er fan out there, like get get the vote out. Come on, we all know that he's the the best linebacker in the NFL. So let's 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 fix it. That's that's all I got to say.
3: He's not even the best linebacker in the NFL. I honestly think on the short list of players who you can say legitimately change the way an offense has to scheme against a defense and the way a defensive coordinator can call a game. he's one of the few players that does that. He the 49ers defense against the middle of the field is like a lockbox because he exists. Like there's I don't I agree with everything you've said. I just think sometimes We as fans also just take for granted how absurd Fred Warner is. He does things regularly no other linebacker in the NFL can do. He carries slot receivers, five, like, seven, four, three speed guys up the seam like it's nothing. Like, he's he's so ridiculously good. And he's probably the biggest victim of this whole argument about positional value, of probably any player in the NFL, because a lot of people don't think off-ball linebackers are all that valuable. But he might be – him and maybe Bobby Wagner in his prime might be the – Bobby Wagner in his prime might be the last linebacker to be as impactful as Fred Warner. Then before them, you got Kuechly and – the fearsome twosome of Bowman and Willis. He's just, I'm going to stop myself because I think I could go (laughs) another hour just raving about how much I love Fred Warner. He he does so much. He's he's probably the most important player they have on that defense, and it's a blessing that they were able to re-sign him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, come back for the, uh, the midweek, uh, Fred Warner gushing session from mock jobs. We'll, uh, we'll give you a whole, we'll give you a whole an hour. You you take what you want. You can tell us all, all, all the great things that he is. So, all right. Um, well, now that we've, we've talked about all the good things that, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. So what, what do you think? What what was something that, that, that didn't quite work for you? What was something that was a little disappointing from a uh, 49 perspective?
3: The interior offensive line had its worst game of the season, I would say. That's really concerning because if there's one thing that the 49ers historically have eventually fallen to in the playoffs, it's interior pressure. In the Super Bowl, Chris Jones against the Rams, Aaron Donald. It's just one of those things that the quickest way to the quarterback is straight from the center to the quarterback. And they'd been so good that you forgot that there's a real question mark coming into the game. Jimmy Garoppolo got hit a lot. And it's just, it's one of those things where the entire offense was disjointed. And I think a lot of that is correctable and eventually schemable. But the interior offensive line just got whooped on Sunday. And it may be an aberration. It was a rough game for Aaron Banks. I think PFF had him at seven pressures which is far and away the most he'd given up the entire year. But just it's one of those things. It shouldn't be an issue long-term, but if it becomes a trend, that's going to be the reason why the 49ers can't get to where they want to go, among anything else, because that offensive line has been allowing Garoppolo to be so efficient and really allowing a passing game people thought to be a secondary strength. To be the primary strength of this offense,
2: yeah, yeah, it certainly was concerning, and it, it was pretty evident from the beginning that the offensive line was not quite there with it. Um, I mean, I think it was pretty evident that the offense was was kind of a little a tick off, right, for the whole of the game. Um, it it just in it, it sort of started, and, and I, as often as it often does, it starts with the offensive line, and specifically that interior of the offensive line. You know, you mentioned Aaron Banks, probably his worst games as a pro, um in terms of games that he's played from start to finish. Um the Spencer Burford injury is a little bit concerning, although Daniel Brunskill is more than capable of stepping into him. By the way, small aside, did you catch the whole how confused Mark Mark Sanchez and, and Co were with the 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 right guard rotation situation? Um I don't remember what it was. It was relatively early in the game, the Niners the Saints had just punted the ball to like the three yard line and the Niners came in um, and Brunskill came in at right guard and they started talking about like, Oh, Brunskill's in at center and Brendel's out and blah, blah, blah. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like you, have you not been watched Did you not watch the team for the last like six weeks? They've been, they've been cycling through the right guard, like on rotation pretty steadily for the last several weeks. I'm like, what's, What's going on? Like, stop freaking me out! Because I legitimately was like, "What? Well, hold on, wait, Brendel? What? Oh my gosh! Like, we're gonna have to like toss out the whole middle of the offensive line because you know Brendel goes out and then Brunswick comes in and then Burford and it was, and but it was just fine. It was just the normal rotation. <laughs> it was like, come on, calm down, guys. Like, pay attention to what's going on. That that made me objectively angry at Mark Sanchez for not paying attention. Um yeah, he no. should he should know about offensive guards too. You know, he's intimately <laughs> familiar with them. Just, just saying that. <laughs>
3: you no, know, I, I also got so confused. I was like, okay, what's going on? Because I, I was worried. I was like, Aaron Banks got hurt. And then I see him there, and I'm like, oh, come on, guys. This is a quick side. but I was not a fan of the commentary. And I typically give the benefit of the doubt to play-by-play and color guys. I did, like, high school football commentary, and I sucked at it. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I know – I have in a very low stakes environment I can get how you stumble upon stuff how the flow gets away from you it's a it's a thankless and it's a tough job but that was bad it was like they barely knew anything that was going on. I was so out of it I wanted to mute it the entire time
2: <laughs> it's like guys they' like for it's been like six games they've been doing this I don't know what to tell you like you're not like if you tell me you don't, you haven't watched any of the Forty ers film without telling me you haven't watched any of the Forty ers film. Anyway, um, that's an aside. Um, yeah, so not so great with the interior offensive line. Hopefully that'll get sorted out. I think it's, it's. I think some of that is easy to chalk up to weird week leading up to this game, right? Um, maybe not as much time to prepare for what turned out to be a pretty uh, strong Saints defensive line, um, albeit a you know maybe overly aggressive Saints defensive line. Um, so, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm not like overly concerned about that because it hasn't been an issue for most of the season. So I think it's maybe safe to say this is potentially an anomaly, but it is something to watch out for. Um, I'm, my not so good thing, uh, kind of jumps right next to that. And that's the running game has now kind of been two weeks in a row where it's been, struggling um you know last week the first the first half was was bad um this week was real not so great um they ended up running the ball 29 times for 96 yards which is uh, very unchaining and like on on multiple levels well the 29 29 carries is not but the 96 yards is it's only like 3.3 yards per carry um not so great um very concerning Something to watch out for. Obviously, that all starts with the with the interior of the offensive line, um, and the offensive line across the board. Um, it, it. I think the problem is, is that this is what, uh, you know, if there is a formula to beat this offense, right? It is load up, stop the run, and force Garoppolo to beat you, right? I mean, we've seen this for several years now. Um, and then, from a Niners perspective, maybe you get last week against the Cardinals where grapples like fine and just, you know, chucks it all down the field and they win the game anyway. Um, And they score a lot of points or maybe you get something like this, where he throws the ball 37 times, but only throws 222 yards and it doesn't really look all that pretty from, from time to time. Um, You know, that's, that's the sort of give and take of this particular offense. And, you know, it's going to be up to Kyle Shanahan to figure out how to, um, overcome some of his own tendencies, which I know is a struggle for him. Um, but also figure out how to, what can he do to lighten that box up without also without just the immediate answer being, all right, well, let's just give it to Jimmy and make him throw the ball forty times a game, which is certainly not the solution most of the time in this particular case. So I don't know what, you, what thoughts you have about that.
3: Yeah, no, I think it was so the fans are a very good defense that were almost entirely healthy. And I feel like we should mention this because their stats don't really do them justice since they've been so dang hurt the entire year, but that's a talented front four, a pretty talented secondary. Not excusing the performance, but you know, it was a tough battle and sometimes they don't really get what they need. I just think when it comes to Garoppolo and just the offense in general, There hasn't really been a game, other than the Monsoon game, which and then the like Denver game, where you I've been like, wow, this offense is just not capable of like doing anything. And I think the issue with Garoppolo is that there's always like, like three or four plays that can make any Niners game a blowout, and I think. against Arizona, he hits on those plays, and boom, it's a blowout. Against the Saints, I mean, in the first quarter or second quarter, but it was early in the game, Christian McCaffrey runs a rail route. That's a touchdown. Garoppolo overshoots him. The pass to Juwan Jennings is a little inside, ends up leading to a botched fourth down. Just the hold on George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell's run. Eventually they get Mm -hmm. a touchdown, but, you know, it's just – Tiny moments like that, we can count on your hands. Like, okay, if you just like execute here, boom, mm-hmm. win.
2: <laughs> so, or you or you win by more in this particular case.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it's just one of those things where the the game plan against the Forty ers is going to be the same, and we can talk about how Shanahan attacks those and what he can do to scheme around it. But at the end of the day. You're like constrained by the players you have. The 49ers don't have an extreme vertical threat that fundamentally alters the way defenses play down the field. They don't have a quarterback who can throw down the field or who is willing to all that often. So defenses mug up to the line, crowd the middle of the field, and it's all of, you you're kind of forced into looks that you have to manipulate out of somehow. And when you get those chances, it's just about converting it. And, you know, I've tried to personally, I've tried to steer away from a lot of Garoppolo discussion just because Mm -hmm. it's kind of pointless now. Trey Lance, like, barring a Super Bowl victory, is going to be starting next year. And even if the Niners win the Super Bowl, I would be very hard-pressed to see Garoppolo back. And we can talk about this much, (laughs) much later when it becomes a legitimate discussion. But for now, we know who he is. One of his biggest issues, which is throwing bone-handed interceptions, has kind of gone away with McCaffrey always there for seven yards. And that's about it. That's what you'll get out of him. Defenses know what to do. The 49ers know what to do. It's just, when you get those plays, can can they convert? Against the Cardinals, they did. Against the Saints, they didn't really. It didn't matter in either case because the defense is that good and the offense did just enough. It did matter, you know, against the Broncos when the defense was really good but just not good enough, or against the Chiefs when the defense wasn't good enough and the offense just couldn't keep pace. Like, that's just the way it goes with Garoppolo. Yeah, You just hope that, you know, come January and February, you get basically the four-game swing where he's on. And honestly, for a quarterback of his caliber, which is not to disparage him, by the way, but you know, kind of is what it is, that's really what this team is looking for. is just for him to go on a heater. That's how any team with this kind of journeyman, top 11, maybe 9 to 12 with how he's playing this year, quarterback, that's kind of how it goes. You hope they elevate to be a top five quarterback when the time comes, or you hope your defense is so ridiculously good, doesn't matter how he plays.
2: Yeah, it's the uh, the Joe Flacco experience, yes. right?
3: Yep, exactly
2: yep. what happened. Exactly what happened with the Ra- with the Ravens that that season. Like, you can't tell me if if Joe Flacco was his sort of normal self, I I don't see the Ravens going on that run that year. Um, similar kind of thing. The Niners are just looking for Garoppolo to get hot at the right time, and uh, if he does, then that'll solve a lot of the problems. Uh, consequently, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Please go out and throw the wheel route a thousand times until you get it. I don't understand. Like, that is, he has two blocks. He has the underneath, <laughs> the underneath linebacker slash safety that he doesn't see for whatever reason. And I thought maybe he did that again on Sunday. But apparently it was because Ray, Ray McLeod was being held and was not in the spot he was supposed to be. Um, And then it's the wheel route, which you just cannot for the life of him put on the right spot. I don't understand it. Like, it's. It's just, it's confounding because McCaffrey would still be running if he had put it on him. Like, there's just no doubt in my mind that he would have scored. Um, it's it's wild. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like every time, like, wheel round. Oh, there it goes. 10 yards over his head. You he can't catch that. Jimmy, he's not that tall. Give him a break. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's, I'm not an NFL quarterback and I don't pretend to play one on TV, but I I, I got to think that there's, something about that that route is just not not clicking but anyway um all right actually has any uh, final thoughts about this one before we uh wrap it up
3: just one quick one i think there's a lot of discussion i mentioned this earlier about just quality of wins and how the Niners might have like won ugly and how oh this isn't good enough when you get to the playoffs i just think there's been a lot of back and forth about this online like Football is week to week. There's no guarantee of anything. Was this execution not good enough against the Chiefs in a potential Super Bowl in February? Who knows? I think the important thing is to realize that the weapons are in place and that the potential is there. We've seen the offense click. We've seen the defense play an absurdly dominant game. Is it all gonna come together all the time? No, that's why there's only one undefeated team in the history of the NFL. And even they probably – I don't actually know enough about the 72 Dolphins. That's <laughs> way, way before my time. But Same. I'm going to guess they probably had some you know, down games they etched out. We don't basically enjoy the season. The Niners are a full game up in the division – that basically means that they have to lose two more games than the Hawks, including most likely the game against the Seahawks, to be in danger of actually losing the division at all. It's a great spot to be in. The offense has a lot of weapons. The defense is playing better than it ever has. Just you know, enjoy what's going to be probably the most fun game of the 49ers season when they take out the Dolphins.
2: We'll uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. Consequently, uh, the 1972 Dolphins had the NFL's uh, best offense and best defense in terms of points scored and points allowed, and yards scored and yards allowed in uh, 1972. Um, So they were pretty good. Um, They won all of their games, uh, most of them big. Their their closest game was a a 24-23 win over the Buffalo Bills in Week 6 of that season. Um, but other than that, they won pretty much everything by multiple scores in in most cases. So just for fun, um, <laughs> so that's my final thought on the on the on the subject. Just in case you were wondering. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. Um, sometimes this game is about who who gets the who gets going at the right time. And I think um, if you'd ask Niners fans, and well, actually, if you'd ask Cardinals fans. Uh, would they rather have an 8-0 start or an 8-0 finish? Um, I, th- I think, you know, based on last season, they would certainly take the, the 8-0 finish if that was if that was allowed. But, um, yeah, o- onward and upward. I, I, you know, we'll talk more about uh, the Dolphins game uh, later in the week. But until then, um, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fan sided Podcast Network. Uh, please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis including uh, uh, pieces from both of us here on the podcast. Uh, And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And, of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. ¶¶